Our subject this morning as we um, open God's word is the death of Jesus Christ and its significance. We are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Uh, If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to join me there, Luke 23, talking about the death of Jesus Christ and its significance. And I would like to start by asking you a question about the Bible. As you're reading the Bible, do you ever find yourself troubled by some aspects of the Old Testament? It's okay to admit in your heart right now, if you're ever, especially reading through the Old Testament, and you run across something that um, just troubles you, and you might might not even be sure why, but maybe it you have a hard time squaring it with the character of God. I was talking with um, a friend um, in the not-too-distant past. Um, She is a Christian. She was struggling with something that um, I think is a somewhat common problem among Christians, definitely a problem among non-Christians, She was just sharing with me the struggle that she has with with the scriptures. And here's the particular struggle that she was talking about. She sees what seems to be a very different God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In her view, and remember, she's speaking from a, a Christian perspective. She's a believer, but she was struggling with this. And in her view, the God of the Old Testament is full of wrath and raining down judgment and death on his enemies and the enemies of his people. And then in the New Testament, Jesus, the Son of God, who is the exact imprint of God, comes into the world and seems to reveal a God of compassion and mercy. And he tells us to love our enemies and to pray for them. And the question is, this is the question she was struggling with, how can this be the same God? How can this be the same one God who never changes? And if you have ever wondered about that, and especially if you struggle with that question in particular. We're going to talk about that question today. We're going to talk about that struggle in this passage where Jesus is put to death. And the way that we're going to do it is we're going to look at the way that two Old Testament heroes die and what's on their mind as they're dying. And then we're going to compare that to what we see in Jesus in Luke 23 and what's on his mind as he's dying, okay? And really try to get to this, the bottom of this question, just what is the character of God? Who, who is he? What is he like? And what does it mean for you? That's where we're headed today, taking a, um, a theological but also a practical slant on the death of Jesus and thinking through this idea of the wrath of God that we see in the Old Testament and where does that end up in the New, okay? All right, so Luke 23 is our text. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 26. If you're able to stand for the reading of the word, I want to invite you to do that. Luke 23, beginning in verse 26. 
And as they led him away, this is Jesus, as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, I pray now for us that we would receive these holy things with great care and great attention. I pray that I would be a a faithful Messenger and explainer of these things, the most important things that we could ever look into, the, the holiest moment, this moment of transaction between you, a holy God, and your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Bring us further along in our knowledge. Um, I pray that you would minister to hearts um, through the Word today. I pray that you would um, give us good things. I pray that you would nourish us and feed us on this wonderful Jesus Christ, our Savior and your beloved Son. And we pray in his wonderful name. Amen. All right. Please be seated. Even if you're not real familiar with the Bible, um, I think there's a good chance that you've heard of um, King David. And there's a good chance that you've heard of Samson. We're going to talk about these two Old Testament heroes um, for just a few minutes as we get into thinking about the death of Jesus. You know, David is the one who took down Goliath. You have heard of him. Samson is the big, um, strong man who defeated the enemies of Israel. He could wipe out whole armies um, almost single-handedly. 
I don't know where David and Samson would rank on a list of Old Testament heroes um, if we tried to list them in order of importance. But um, as far as individual accomplishments and like their ability to deliver God's people, um, they might be the top two or very close to it. David and David and Samson. And we're not really interested in their lives today. We're more interested today in how they died. As in, when these two Old Testament heroes died, they who had done so much and defeated so many enemies and big enemies of God's people, what was on their mind when they died? What did they want? What were they wishing for? Let's take Samson first. Um, You may know the story of his death. Um, He had been blinded um, by the enemy of Israel, the Philistines. They had finally captured him. Samson was a a strong man, but he had some key weaknesses in his life that eventually brought him down. And when the Philistines captured him, they put out his eyes, and basically they made him a slave. And on one occasion, you can read about this in Judges chapter 16, on one occasion, the Philistines were having a big party. All the important people were there. And as a form of entertainment, and to celebrate the greatness of their false god, Dagon, they decided, hey, let's bring out Samson and let's parade him around as a way of showing how great our God is and that our great enemy has been captured and look how humble he is before us now. And so they brought Samson out as a form of entertainment and Samson told the young man who was leading him around because, of course, he was blind, but he asked to be placed between two pillars. And those pillars were supporting the house. And so he was, he was placed there and he prays to God in that moment and says, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson, the, the representative of God, has his prayer answered and he pushes against the pillars, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus died between two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus had a a prayer on his mind as he died, that he was praying to the Father. Samson has a prayer on his mind as he's praying to the Father. He wants his enemies to die along with him. And so he pushes on those pillars and the, the roof falls in. And as Samson dies, along with all those people, he takes down at least 3,000 people with him. His last wish as he died was judgment on his enemies. Samson, the Old Testament hero. Well, maybe David did a little bit better, right? I mean, David, David was the one after God's own heart. David, who was in love with God, who wrote so many of the Psalms and talked about God's loyal love and how much God had done for him. David was... In love with God, he was God's chosen and anointed one. Well, what was on his mind as he died? Surely this David, like the hero, King David, would have something glorious on his mind as he died. Do you remember what he wanted? Have you read that account? Like we're told exactly what he wanted. First Kings chapter Two, David's final moments. He's near the end of his life. And so he calls his son Solomon in. He wants to talk to his son. What does he want to talk to his son about? Verse 
David basically gave his son a, um, a checklist of people that he wanted his son to take out once he passed away, once David died. He used language that was um, a little bit mysterious. Didn't explicitly say, make sure that you kill this person. He said, so-and-so, remember that so-and-so did this to me. You will know what to do to them. Make sure that they don't go to their grave in peace. You know what to do. Right? Without saying explicitly, Solomon knew what David wanted. Hey, these people that did me wrong and harmed me during my lifetime and proved to be enemies of God, they need to die. I want them dead. He didn't want them dead because they were a threat to the establishment of Solomon's kingdom. He wanted them dead because he thought that they deserved it. So Samson and David, these Old Testament heroes, share a common desire in their death. Among their last wishes was the desire to see their enemies crushed. They wanted to bring their enemies down with them. And remember, these are the leaders of the nation. These are God's appointed leaders. They're the godly ones. And so one question that we might ask about this as we think about what Samson wanted and what David wanted, we could ask the question, well, were they wrong to desire this? Does it represent some kind of a character flaw in them or some kind of pettiness? Like, does it say something negative about them that they wanted their enemies to die along with them? And to answer that question, one thing that we need to understand is that their enemies were not innocent. They had real guilt before God. The Philistines had done plenty of killing too. And don't forget, they were worshiping a false god. They were mocking the God of Israel and mocking his deliverer, Samson. They had plenty of guilt. There were plenty of reasons for judgment to fall on them. They were guilty. Likewise with David's enemies. One of, the, one of the men that he calls out, Joab, that he wants to see um, taken care of, taken out. Joab was guilty of the wrongful and petty murder of good men. This other man, Shimei, that David wants taken out, he had cursed David and thrown rocks at God's anointed when David was deposed, when Absalom took over and had a coup and David had to flee. This man, Shimei, was cursing God's anointed king. So it's not like these people were innocent before David or before God. It's not like Samson's enemies were innocent before Samson or before God. Samson and David had been personally attacked and mocked by their enemies who were also sinning against God in the process. And I think quite humanly and quite naturally, when David and Samson came to their death, they wished judgment and death on their enemies. And I think we'd have to say that justice was served in the death of their enemies. Real guilt was actually punished. All of the people who they mentioned and wanted dead had real guilt, and for them to die was, was just. So Samson and David were echoing the same refrain when they died. God, let your just wrath break out on your enemies who have mocked me and therefore mocked you. 
God, let your just wrath break out on your enemies. They have mocked me. They have mocked you. That's the death of the Old Testament hero. Enemies are taken down with them. Okay? Now, New Testament. How different is the death of Jesus of Nazareth? Circumstances are very similar. He's been mocked too, right? We talked all about that a couple weeks ago. Mocked consistently through this whole process of trial and crucifixion. He's still being mocked as he's on the cross. He's been repeatedly declared innocent. And yet here he is, nailed to a cross and dying. And the people around him who had him condemned and who nailed him to the cross bear real guilt before him and God. He's in a very similar situation to the heroes of the Old Testament that we just talked about. The final moments of his life, he's considering the ones who have done him personal harm. Just like Samson and David. He's considering the ones who have done him personal harm. Who have mocked him and opposed God. And he has something that he wants to say about them. And about their guilt. So what will it be? Will he echo Samson and David? God, let your just wrath break out on your enemies who have mocked me. Look at how they've mocked me. Look at how they've mocked you. Wouldn't he be justified in saying that about these people? He would, even, he would be even more justified than Samson and David to say that. Samson and David both brought much of what they experienced. They brought that on themselves. And Jesus has brought nothing upon himself. But here is Jesus considering his enemies all around them. And he says of them, Father, and this is where the prayer changes. Not Father, destroy them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Now what has changed Why is the Old Testament full of, oh God, destroy them. Take down my enemies. Let me be avenged on those who have opposed me. Why is the Old Testament like that and the New Testament full of, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we have Jesus saying to his followers, love your enemies and pray for them. What on earth does this mean? This, how could there be this massive difference between the Old and New Testament? No wonder People are confused. Who is this God? Is he a wrathful, judging God or a kind, forgiving God? How do we make sense of this? Let's try to get at an answer this this way. Why does Jesus make a different request in his death than the Old Testament heroes? Why does he pray, Father, forgive, instead of Father, destroy? Let's consider this option. Maybe Jesus is just nicer. I mean, he is Jesus. Maybe he can just overlook an offense. And Samson and David were too petty to overlook the offense, but Jesus being Jesus shows us a better way. Forgive. That 
that might be an attractive option. I think there are a lot of people that would subscribe to that. Just say, Jesus shows us the example of a better way to live. That's, that's true. But it won't do as a solution to this question of why his prayer can be different. Here's, here's why. Here's why it's not enough to just say Jesus is nicer. You have not dealt with the necessity of just punishment. I mean, right punishment for the evil that's being committed here. These people mocking Jesus and executing him bear real guilt. They are eagerly participating in the worst thing that's ever happened, the public murder of an innocent man who is also God. That is an offense that cannot be swept under the rug if there is a God of justice ruling the universe. You can't just sweep that under a rug and have it go away and say, well, Jesus is just a better person and he forgives them for the evil and and that's that. That won't do. You can't have that and still have a a just universe and a just God. You know, there, there have been some very high-profile criminal cases in the not-too-distant past, and these are, these are the ones that are so beautiful to watch when we get a glimpse into the courtroom sometimes, and it, it makes national news when you have a, a family who has lost a loved one because some, someone has killed their loved one, and you see these precious family members coming into court and testifying and somehow saying to the perpetrator, we forgive you. Our family... I forgive you for what you did to my loved one. And that, that is, those are the best moments. That, what a picture of the gospel in those moments and what it looks like to be a Christian, to see someone say, I forgive you in that situation. Okay, but listen, even if the family forgives the criminal, even if they offer that forgiveness, that forgiveness does not rule out or cancel a just sentence, a just sentencing of the criminal. It doesn't override the criminal justice system. The family member just says, I forgive them. Justice still needs to be served. It's because the criminal hasn't just committed a crime against the individual or the family. They've committed a crime against the state, and sometimes a federal crime. They've broken a higher law, and that must be punished and punished severely, even if personal forgiveness is offered. So let me ask you a question. In the case of Jesus of Nazareth dying on the cross, who has offered his personal forgiveness toward his enemies for murdering him, even though he's innocent, where is justice here? Where is punishment for that higher law that these people have broken? The law of God, thou shalt not murder. It is right for this offense to be punished severely, even if forgiveness is offered. So where is justice? Samson asked for the just wrath of God to fall on his enemies, and he got it. David asked for the just wrath of God to fall on his enemies, and he got it. Jesus comes along, and he is offering personal forgiveness. So has justice just vanished? Does it still matter? What happened to the wrath of God against sin? Do we have a new God showing himself in the New Testament who simply forgives and then is over? 
Here is what we have to understand about the death that we're witnessing in Luke 23, the death of Jesus of Nazareth in the New Testament, that God's just wrath against sin has not disappeared. It is being absorbed in the body and the soul of Jesus of Nazareth in that very moment. This death that we are looking at in the scriptures this morning is different from any other death that has ever taken place or will take place. Just as Jesus is different from every other person that has ever lived or will live. Jesus came into this world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to bear in his own body the just punishment for sin as he died on the cross. He is not a victim in this passage. He is willingly bearing the sin of the world and the punishment for that sin. The reason he can say, Father, forgive them, and say nothing about them bearing the just punishment for their evil is because he is himself in that very moment experiencing the just punishment for their sin. In those six hours on the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God against sin. God doesn't change between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God doesn't change. God appeared. That's what happened. He appeared for a purpose to absorb God's own wrath against sin. That's what's happening in the cross. God absorbing God's own wrath in the person of Jesus Christ. The deaths of Samson and David were wrath spreading. And the death of Jesus was a wrath absorbing death. And with justice fully satisfied, with God being shown as fully just, Upholding justice in the universe by allowing sin to be punished fully in his son. With, God, with God's justice being fully satisfied. Sin being fully punished. Jesus was free to pray and did pray. Father, forgive them. It was forgiveness with a basis. And the basis of forgiveness was Jesus' own payment for sin. God didn't change. God appeared. It was the death of the hero that changed. It was a wrath-absorbing death instead of a wrath-spreading death. And now forgiveness is multiplied out to the many and more and more people daily. I said um, at the outset that we were going to talk today about the death of Jesus and its significance. 
We've said something about its significance theologically, but it also has very important personal significance for every person in this room, every person listening online. It doesn't just have theological significance. It has personal significance for you. You need to know that it's not automatic that you receive the benefit of Jesus' wrath-absorbing death. Just because you're a human being and just because Jesus died this different wrath-absorbing death does not mean that you automatically benefit from it. You have to transact with Jesus over your sin. You have to talk to him about it. If you wonder what that looks like and what does it, what does it mean to be saved, what are the mechanics of it? Like, If you've ever wondered, I, I, can't, I understand that Jesus died for sin, but what exactly is necessary? What do I have to do? Just look at this wonderful example we have right here in these, these three crosses in this conversation that's happening as Jesus is, is dying. It's such a good model because it's so clear. This one thief that speaks favorably of Jesus. Look at what he does. Look at the three things that are so clear that takes him from cross to paradise. From guilty to glorified. What happens for this man? He does three really simple things. First of all, he admits his guilt to Jesus, right? He makes no bones about it. He tells his friend... We are receiving the just punishment for our deeds. He knows he's guilty. That's what you have to be willing to admit to Jesus. You have broken the law of God. You know it. Stop playing games and be honest with God. I am a broken sinner. I cannot be right with God. I've tried. I cannot be holy. I have broken the law of God. He just admits it. He's guilty, right? Second, He sees Jesus through eyes of faith. Everyone else, when they look at Jesus, sees an imposter, right? Everyone is looking at him and saying he must not be a savior because he's not saving himself or anybody else. Therefore, this man is an imposter. See, he can't even save himself. And one man in that area at this point looks at Jesus with eyes of faith and somehow sees a coming king. A coming king who can save. Let me ask you a question. You may think it's hard to believe in this Jesus that you can't see, right? We can't see Jesus right now. And it may be a difficult step for you to say, okay, you're asking me to believe in this Jesus who I cannot see. Think about it from this man on the cross. Think about it from his perspective. It's one thing to be asked to believe in a Jesus that you can't see. What if you need to believe in a Jesus that you can see? And this Jesus is dying, humiliated, on a cross, appears to be cursed, to look at the Jesus that you can see dying and not saving himself or anybody else and believe that this man is a king and has a future. How can you believe that in that moment? That's what it means to look at Jesus through eyes of faith. When other people see an imposter and someone they can't believe in, faith says, this is a king. He can save me. I believe this about him. No one else does. He admits that he's guilty. 
He looks at Jesus with eyes of faith. What is the other thing that he does? What's this last crucial thing? He simply asks to be remembered. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What's he bringing to the table? There's nothing. There's nothing to bring to the table except a horrible, guilty past. There's no reason at all, no merit for why Jesus should save him. In fact, Jesus has every reason not to, right? Because he's done so much to be ashamed of. And yet he asks, and he receives. Grace is a word that we use all the time as Christians. Um, It has a definite meaning in the scriptures. Grace means that God pours out the riches of his kindness on the sinner instead of the fury of his wrath. Did you know that something will be poured out on you by God? Grace means that God pours out the riches of his kindness on the sinner instead of the fury of his wrath because Jesus took the wrath for us. And Jesus, when we believe in him, doesn't just put us back to neutral. We're not neutral in God's eyes. Now God gives full vent to all of his love toward us. Pours out the riches of his kindness on us now. Treats us as dearly loved sons and daughters. Doesn't just put us back to neutral. He just allows himself to pour out all of his kindness on the sinner. That's why this man goes from cross to paradise. That's what grace looks like. This man receives Grace Has there ever been such a remarkable change of status that this man experiences in a moment? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Off the cross, in paradise with Jesus. Through your faith in Jesus, you are forgiven. You are new. Your record is wiped clean. Your sin is paid for. You join Jesus when you die. Samson and David, they took many down with them when they died. Lord Jesus Christ takes many up with him when he died. For this purpose, he came down to find and save the guilty and the lost so he could bring many sons and daughters to glory in his death. And everyone who looks on this dying man, even so today, the promise is there for you. Everyone that looks on this dying man, Jesus of Nazareth, son of God, with eyes of faith, and believes that he is the king and he can save and rolls their sin onto him. Roll your sin onto Jesus. Everyone who does that, God's promise is that you will be saved. And Christian, if you have heard this beautiful news a million times. Remember today that your sin and all the shame that goes with it was totally obliterated by Jesus Christ at the cross. All of the shame attendant to your sin has been dealt with 
forever. And you are free. And his word to his disciples, post-resurrection, remember, his word to his disciples, post-resurrection, peace be with you. Peace be with you, Christian. Lord Jesus, these things are too wonderful. How could it possibly be that you yourself, having the right response toward evil, being so angry at the evil in the world, justifiably, and needing to punish sin because it's right for you to do that, how could it be that you yourself would be so loving and regard us so much that you would have your son take a body and come to this dirty place and be willing to lay all of our sin that we committed against you on him. Now, all there is for us is just to come in humility and say we have been wrong. We are sinners, but Jesus is a savior. And Jesus, would you take my sin and remember me when you come to your kingdom? And he always says yes. God, you're amazing. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand, shall we?